what up, and welcome to the Water with Lemon podcast. This is Emma Cook, your host, and I am a fellow 20-something creating this podcast for you, my 20-something friends, or 20-somethings at heart. My hope and prayer is that you walk away from each episode feeling encouraged, challenged, and refreshed in your walk with the Lord. I invite some legit older, wiser women on to help us along this journey and remind us that we will indeed survive. I am pumped that you're here. Okay, ladies, before we get started, I wanted to share with you guys about an app that I have been loving that makes catching up on Bible reading super duper easy and so fun. We're a little over halfway through the year now, which means that for a lot of us, our New Year's Bible reading plans might be falling behind in the busyness of life. Schedules are crazy, Netflix is calling, and for a lot of us, it's just plain hard to find the time to get into God's Word each day. That's where Dwell comes in. Dwell is an audio Bible app that far exceeds any Bible app you've used before. Trust me. This isn't some monotone, boring reading of the King James Version that's going to put you to sleep by the end of the first verse. Dwell has commissioned four brand new recordings of the Bible in the ESV, each showcasing a unique and inspiring voice. Right now, I am really into the five-day Bible in a Year plan and the Peaceful Night playlist. In just 15 to 20 minutes a day, you can listen to the entire Bible in a year. I typically play my Bible in a Year plan while I'm getting ready for work or on my way to work. So if you have a hard time reading the Bible, or if you have a commute and would like to redeem that time, then try out Dwell. They have a seven-day free trial that you can take advantage of. They have also given Water with Lemon listeners a pretty generous deal. If you go to dwellapp.io slash waterwithlemon, you can get 33% off their annual subscription, which works out to $19.99. And $19.99 a year is just $1.67 a month. So we're talking less than a latte a month that you can access a world-class scripture listening experience. Again, check them out at dwellapp.io slash waterwithlemon and transform the way you experience scripture. Oh, hey, welcome back to the podcast, ladies. This week, we are diving into conflict. Yeah, that's right. You heard me. And I'm chatting with Heather today about how to handle conflict between friendships and relationships with the boys. She gives great tips on how we can handle conflict healthily and raise your hand if conflict is pretty rough. Yep, all of America and Canada is raising their hands because I'm talking to a Canadian today. It is for all of us, but we can learn to love those around us and approach conflict situations in a healthy way. So let's let Heather teach us and let's get on with it. Hey Heather, welcome to the Water with Lemon podcast. I am super excited to have you on. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. How about you just kind of start us off, tell us about yourself, what your life looks like these days. Sure. So I am a speaker, author, and life coach. But that probably takes up about, you know, 10% of my time. And when I'm not doing those things, I am a wife and a mom of three kids who are wild and crazy and amazing. And um, they are eight, six, and almost two. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So they keep me pretty busy, but they are lots of fun. Yeah, I bet. 
Very cool. What is uh what have you been like up to lately as far as like you said you're speaking and you're an mm-hmm. author. So what's been like your biggest projects right now? Well, I just released a book, uh, my second book, and it's called Letters from a Big Sister. It's oh, four- I love that. Yeah, 14 different authors wrote to their younger selves, like, what do I wish I would have known when I was, you know, my late teens, early 20s, and I was going through the struggles that I was going through? What what advice do I wish someone would have given me that would have helped me through those challenges? And then I kind of expand on each of their letters into a chapter with all kinds of interactive questions and song suggestions and that mm-hmm. was a two and a half year project. So that was the big thing that I've been working on lately. Wow. Did you, when did you release it? It released in April. Yeah. So just. Very cool. So mm-hmm. it's only a few months old. Yeah. It's about two months old. Yeah. That is so cool. So the main like target audience is like late teens, early twenties. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. That is such a good idea. I really like that, especially like to be able to have other authors come in and kind of contribute to it. That's such a cool thing. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. It was like, it's also a very visual design forward kind of book. So I definitely had to like step out of my comfort zone with that because I'm not a designer at all. Yeah. (laughs) uh, But worked with some amazing photographers and designers to make it very beautiful. And so good. Yeah. So you had some help. I had a lot of help for sure. Yes. And that's, I feel like such a good thing to kind of let people enter into your projects because different people have different gifts and abilities and it's very rare that you can do it all on your own. So it's cool when you see projects where, uh, you know, you can see that a lot of people have contributed because sometimes we attribute all the work to one person and it's actually like a lot of people behind the scenes. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think I used like on my first book, I really did do most of it myself. And this experience, it took a lot longer, but it was so much more rich to do it in community and to do it Mm -hmm. with other sisters. And, um, yeah, that's what I'm all about these days. It's like, I don't want to be a lone ranger. I want to do ministry and work and life with other people. That is so cool. I will totally put that book in the show notes so that people can check it out. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, of course. So, all right. You know that my podcast is mostly for uh, ladies in their 20s, or I always say like 20s at heart. But so let's talk about (laughs) your 20s. Like, what were they like? What was good? What was hard? Tell me all about them. Yeah. So, man, I thought I had it all figured out in my 20s. (laughs) (laughs) Right. um, Wow. I thought... Yeah, I thought um I thought life was going to look a certain way in my 20s and mm-hmm. I had a lot of you know I was moving towards creating that life that I imagined in my mind and mm-hmm. I think I still um sort of believed that it was going to look really idealistic um mm-hmm. because I hadn't experienced a lot of heartache or trauma at that point yet. Probably the hardest thing I went through in my twenties was my first real breakup, Mm, um, which to me felt like a loss. Like it felt like a death because it was a person that I thought I was going to marry the first person that, um, ever said they love me or, you know, my first kiss, like all of those experiences were with that person. 
So I think that was probably the hardest part of my early twenties was, was that breakup. Um, but other than that, like, I think I just had a lot of like hope for the future and the life that I was going to create. And I was just busy getting to work, trying to make all those things. I feel like that's very common. Like that's super common theme of like feeling like you have it all together. And then also venturing through like relationships that are no longer just high school, like date here and there, nothing's really like super serious. And so whenever you go through a breakup in your twenties, it's more of a big deal because you're taking it a little more seriously, right? Definitely. What else was like good, hard? Do you have anything else? Um, I think what was good was that I was starting to really see how my faith could interact with my life because I grew up in the church. And so Mm -hmm. I hadn't really ventured out of the church much. I also went to a Christian school, but going into university, I was actually pleasantly surprised, like how much opportunity I had to share the love of God and to share what I believed in really organic, fun, creative ways um, mm-hmm. that I had never really experienced before. And I loved that. I, I felt like my faith strengthened so much. A lot of people go to university and they start to question. And for me, it was like, I went and I was like, wow, there's such a great need. People are, are looking for hope and meaning and purpose. And, um, and I felt like I was able to, to share my story and my experience and see, see people really be hungry for, for that, which is really Mm -hmm. kind of surprising for me, I guess, but exciting too. Thanks for sharing about your twenties and just in general, what it was like for you. Of course. I feel like so many, there's a lot of common themes, but then also, um, things that vary from person to person. And so it's really cool just to be able to hear everyone's stories within their twenties. It can Mm -hmm. be a really fun and incredibly growing time is what I get from most people. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so let's venture into talking about what it looks like to communicate in conflict. So this is something that um, that I've definitely like looked into other podcasts and just resources on this because it can be so hard. So uh, what do you think it looks like to communicate in communicate in conflict, like in a way that is bold and healthy. Yeah. So this is something that, um, when I was like the way I would approach this in the, in my twenties and the way I approach it now is so different. And I'm super grateful that I had some good tools passed on to me along the way, because when I was in my twenties, um, I was really a people pleaser. I'm now mm-hmm. just a recovering people pleaser. <laughs> so right. it's not that I've mastered that at all, but because of that, I think I avoided conflict pretty hardcore because I just didn't mm-hmm. want people to be disappointed in me or to have a negative opinion of me. And I was more concerned with that than I was with actually communicating my heart in those challenging yeah. situations. So I'd say, first of all, is to kind of understand that like the mindset and belief that you have about yourself and that you have about relationships is going to impact the way you communicate in conflict. So if you're a people pleaser, like that's going to affect how you, how you deal with the conflict. Or if you're somebody who, um, you know, is 
really insecure, you might not be able to communicate as confidently. So it's just, it's just good to kind of like be aware of those underlying beliefs and how they affect the way that we approach conflict. Also personality Mm -hmm. types, all those kinds of things. I'm sure you guys have talked about the Enneagram here possibly before. Yeah. Yeah. So (laughs) understanding those things just kind of give us a good framework of knowing, okay, when I go into conflict, I tend to approach it this way or that. Um, But more specifically in terms of tools, I would say the biggest thing is to remember that in conflict, what we want to do is understand the other person's heart first and foremost, because often conflict comes from misunderstanding, but not just misunderstanding someone's words or actions, but actually misunderstanding their heart in Mm. those words or actions. And so if we go into conflict, looking to know someone else's heart, it sets us up to win regardless of how the situation turns out. Mm. So I would say that's like a big thing for me is to, um, it's kind of like you're reading between the lines of the conversation, right? Mm -hmm. You're not just listening for the words they're saying. You're listening for the heart behind those words. Mm -hmm. Um, And if you can do that, then you can get past all the offense. You can get past the trying to explain yourself and be understood and actually seek to understand the other person first. Mm, And yeah, and that just, it, it just changes everything because instead of the other person being on the defense and feeling like they need to defend themselves, it, it brings a real tenderness when they know like, Oh, this person really wants to know not just what I think, but also how I feel and why. Mm. So it lays a really strong foundation to deal with the conflict. Yeah. That's a good point of just like understanding their heart. And, you know, you mentioned the Enneagram. That's a big one of just learning how people handle certain situations, like what Mm -hmm. their motivations are for certain things that they do, Mm -hmm. because we all respond to situations differently. Mm -hmm. And so we can like, learn to understand that more it would probably eliminate a lot of that conflict in general because you're better understanding of oh well the reason that they do that is because this is what's going through their brain at the Mm -hmm. time right yeah that's a good really good way of you know approaching it first and I 100% relate to being the people pleaser that runs away from conflict for sure yeah uh, I I think I'm I'm almost to the recovery stage though for sure <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm still working on it uh-huh. in a lot of ways but for um, most of my life I've totally been in that state and all of like my friends would attest to that of running from conflict for sure so would you mind going into that a little bit for my sake and all the other people pleasers out there of like what did that look like for you to grow and learn in being a people pleaser and how to handle conflict sure so I think one of the things that I had to realize was the way that a person feels or thinks about me is not my concern Mm. and Um, I wouldn't say like, I don't care what people think and feel about me, but 
how they respond to me is not my responsibility. And Mm, I need to make sure that I'm being living in line with my values and my convictions. But if that ends up offending you, um, that's really not my responsibility. Now it's different if I hurt you and you tell me that I hurt you, that matters a whole lot to me. Right. But the difference is, is that like, I used to live in a way that I would just assume or read into people's actions and take it as that they were offended or hurt without them actually communicating that. Mm. And that's something that I've quit. I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm not going to try and figure out what you're thinking or feeling towards me. I'm going to assume that we're good until you tell me otherwise. Yeah. Cause otherwise we just like harbor all of this irrational. Yeah. Thing. Yeah. You know, like, like you create this total false reality in your mm-hmm. brain, that person and how they're feeling and you just don't actually know. And so have you ever like, gotten to a place where you're like, okay, I need to, like, how did you retrain your brain to stop doing that? Well, at first it was pretty awkward and clunky and, you know, took a lot of effort because I was so used to just kind of assuming, not assuming the worst, but, you know, reading into situations, like you said. Yeah. But I started to just, you know, tell myself a different story, which was as long as I haven't heard there's a problem. I'm going to assume there's not a problem. Mm-hmm. And so I would be in situations where I would have thought, Oh man, maybe I offended them. Maybe I upset them. And in the past I might've reached out and said like, you seemed like you were upset or offended. Did I do something? I, I just stopped doing that. And I just said, you know, mm-hmm. until, until they tell me otherwise, I'm going to assume things are good. But another thing that I did was I actually communicated that to key people in my life. So there was one particular relationship where there was a lot of ongoing conflict. And I said to the person, you know, I said, I can't read your mind and I don't know if I've offended you. And if I have, that matters to me. If I've hurt you, I want to know about it. But unless you tell me, I'm not going to come chasing you down anymore, trying to figure out what's going on. I'm going to assume that we're good unless you tell me otherwise. And just actually saying that to this person for me brought a lot of relief because now I'm like, at least they know that that's kind of my expectation in the relationship. And they know now, like if they are upset that it's on them to tell me, it's not on me to try and coax it out of them. Yeah. And did that like free it up? Did that help y'all's relationship? Yeah, it did. Because I think it gave us both a clearer idea of what the expectation was. You know, Mm -hmm. so much hurt and disappointment comes from unmet expectations. And I think we, in relationship, sometimes assume that we're all kind of coming from the same experience or the, like a level playing field in terms of how conflict has been dealt with in our lives. Mm -hmm. But that is not the case. Like we all grow up in families that deal with conflict in such different ways. And if we don't actually have those kind of conversations with, you know, I'd say with your like close friends and family, then you're not, you're not setting yourselves up to win because already the expectation is probably going to be different on each person's side. Yeah. And that's kind of connects with our point earlier of like, you have to know where people are coming from. And so that's a whole other topic. I feel like Mm -hmm. expectations and how to communicate 
those with your Mm -hmm. friends and and maybe we can touch on that a little bit because I wanted to ask you about like specifically conflict between friendships like Mm -hmm. do you have any advice for us and so maybe you could go in a little bit to expectations and things like that but specific to friendships um what advice do you have surrounding that for sure. So I would say when you start to like develop a friendship where you're like, okay, this is a person that's probably like going to be a part of my inner circle or it's like a lifetime friendship, it might be time to have some of those like define the relationship conversations, which sounds kind of weird because it's not a dating relationship. But yeah. I have found those to be super helpful for me because it just helps you both kind of get on the same page, even things like how often do you like to see your friends? You know, some people only need to see their friends like once every six months and someone like me, I want to see my friends like every other week, if not more. (laughs) So sometimes it's, you can avoid a lot of conflict if you have those kinds of conversations more upfront Mm -hmm. when, before it gets like emotionally charged. And it, that could even be like texting or, you know, expectations about that stuff. Like, you know, some people never check their texts or don't text back. And other people, if you don't text back right away, they assume that you're mad at them. So again, it seems right. so simple and maybe a bit silly, but if we just actually have those conversations with our friends and say, Hey, just so you know, like, I'm not the kind of person that texts back right away because I'm busy or I just can't like track with, a distraction when I'm in school or work or whatever. Right. If you just let your friends know, then when they don't hear back from you, they're like, Oh yeah, that's just, that's what she told me to expect. And so it's not that it's personal. It's not that she's upset with me. It's literally just that that's not how she operates. Um, right. So I would say laying expectations can help you avoid a lot of conflict. And then when it actually comes to a conflict situation, I would say like the number one thing is to go to that person as quick as you can and be vulnerable with them about how you feel. Mm -hmm. Because the longer that we wait and the more that we go to everybody else, but the person that we actually have the conflict with, the bigger and more emotionally charged the problem becomes. And then when we do finally have that conversation, it's so much bigger and the stakes are so much higher than it would have been if we would have addressed it right away. That's totally a downfall of just the season of life is being able to, or having the urge to go tell everybody else instead of going Mm -hmm. straight the person and letting it like fester and continue mm-hmm. to bother you like just go ahead and and talk it out before it continues to like build in you and build off of others right mm-hmm. and sometimes it's just being vulnerable in the moment and saying hey like that that kind of hurt that or that kind of bothered me or that kind of triggered me and I don't even know why but I just wanted to let you know, like it just, that didn't sit right with me, what was said or what was done. And then instead of the person having this like big, huge story that you're telling them of all the things and all the feelings and thoughts they've been having about it for the last weeks or months, they can just say, Oh, well, I'm sorry that you got triggered by that. This is what I meant. 
And it might Mm -hmm. just be cleared up in like a five minute conversation. Yes. And think of all the hours that you're saving yourself of stressing and worrying and telling yourself a story that isn't even necessarily true. That's that's so true. I'm thinking of so many situations where I'm like, ah, if I had just said something right then in the moment. And I've had so many friends come to me and be like, hey, you have to tell me like when it happens, if I hurt Mm -hmm. your feelings. Four days later or weeks later, Mm -hmm. like not even going to really remember that and Mm -hmm. to talk to you about it. So (laughs) tell me in the moment. I think that takes a lot of strength and boldness just to, and do it respectfully too, because sometimes it's easy for people to say that it hurts them in the moment, but it's not with like a a tender heart, you know, Mm -hmm. towards the other person. So there's like, we have to approach it with a kind heart as well. Right. Yeah. And I think that's where leading with vulnerability is such a huge strength and it's so brave and we don't always see it that way. We see it kind of as a weakness or like, we're going to sound like I was talking to a friend about this the other day and they're like, well, I'm going to sound childish if I say that. And I was Mm -hmm. like, no, you're not going to sound childish. You're going to sound vulnerable. And when we tap into our vulnerability, it taps into our fear. And I think that's why it might feel childlike. But as a child, that's actually one of the strengths that children carry is they don't have all those layers of masks and expectations and concern about managing other people's emotions. They just wear their hearts on their sleeves. (laughs) And, And in their lives, the conflicts tend to get dealt with in the moment because their reaction or their hurt comes out in the moment. And that's actually a strength. It's not a weakness. Mm, Uh, But we just kind of take on all these layers of um, trying to manage other people's emotions. That only comes in adulthood. And that's the thing I think that holds us back from being vulnerable in the moment because we don't want to hurt somebody else, or we don't maybe want them to react to our hurt and us to get hurt even more. And that's why it's a risk. That's why it is scary. And it does require bravery for us to actually lead with vulnerability. But it also keeps us from becoming aggressive, like you're saying, because we don't, we don't, if you're being vulnerable, you don't accuse somebody else, because then you're talking about them, you're not talking about you. Right. So when you hear that whole thing of like, use I statements, my way of kind of saying that is like lead with vulnerability because then you're talking about yourself, how mm-hmm. you feel. And even maybe recognizing like, I feel this way and I don't even necessarily think it's your fault, but something that you said or did triggered it. And so mm-hmm. I want to be vulnerable with you and I want to talk this out with you. Mm-hmm. Um, even though maybe it, really has nothing to do with you, but you were the one that was a part of the trigger of it. Right. That takes a it's lot of courage. Like, <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's not like accusing them of something that they said. It's more of like, hey, this this hurt my feelings and let me be vulnerable and, and explain. I, maybe you don't know the root of it. Maybe you know, don't know why it bothered you, but instead mm-hmm. of it being something that's about them and what they did wrong, you're turning it on, 
hey, that triggered something in me and I'm not sure why, but I just wanted to invite you into this. Exactly. That's so, that's so beautiful. And it's so different from how the world portrays conflict in general. Yeah. And I love the word that you just said, like, I want to invite you into this because Mm -hmm. when you see it that way, conflict is really an invitation for deeper intimacy. Mm. And some people might be listening and saying, yeah, but what if someone doesn't respond the way that you hope they would? Well, then they might be showing you that they're not the person that you want to have that level of intimacy with. Yeah. And then it might be your job to take a bit of a step back from that relationship, not cut them out, not stop loving them, but know that maybe they aren't going to be like a part of your inner circle. And that's okay too. And you might just have to figure that out by taking that step and Mm -hmm. seeing how they respond to it. Yeah. And with every invitation, like somebody gets to respond, right? Like they might say, yep, I'm in, I want to go there with you and be real with you. Or they might say like, no, that's your problem. And I don't even see how I'm a part of that. And then they're just showing you like, they're probably not the person that you're going to be, you know, inviting into your inner circle or your deepest places. Yeah. Makes sense. And that can be a good test to see like, you know, is this somebody, but I'm, I'm going to be able to have healthy conflict with. And so Mm -hmm. it's a good test of that. Yeah. So, okay, let's move now into, let's talk about conflict with boys, because I know there's a lot of questions surrounding that. So any advice surrounding how to have healthy conflict with the male species? Now, just to clarify, uh, would you say like in a dating situation or just boys in general? Um, I think it could be both. Like, either friendships with boys or in relationships. I know it looks differently, but mm-hmm. I'm sure there is a lot of overlap with with the two. So yeah. okay. any, any thoughts surrounding it? For sure. So I would say, and this is probably something that everyone's heard before, but is a good reminder. It's really good for us girls to remember that like boys are thinking about things way less than we are. They are like the situation that just happened, the conversation that just happened that you felt had so many underlying messages and meanings and tones. They were not intending those messages, meanings, and tones. You were just reading into them because of all of your own feelings and your own insecurities and fears. Yes, exactly. And there's, that's, there's nothing (laughs) wrong with that, but it is good to be aware of that. Yeah. So I would say, first of all, is to make a generous assumption about the guy that you're possibly having conflict with. And what I mean by that is instead of assuming that he meant to hurt you, he meant to offend you, you know, he actually meant something other than what he said, assume that he didn't mean to hurt you and that he didn't mean to offend you. And that he actually does, you know, think highly of you as a person. Um, We, we often start with like the wrong assumption, which is where so much of this spinning in our head and the problem growing bigger and bigger comes from. So if you can be generous in your assumption and then again, have the bravery to 
to deal with it as quickly as you can. And it might just be, mm-hmm. again, like saying to this person, like, hey, what, like, what did you mean by what you just said? Or what did you mean by what you just did? And they might have like a simple answer or they might be like, I, what are you talking about? Like, I don't even know what I just said or what I just did. <laughs> so if you can like ask a question to clarify the, the comment or the action, that might, again, that might just solve it right away. So it's like the same thing of making them aware very soon. Don't wait it out and think of all of the possible scenarios. Mm-hmm. Talk to them about it right then. <laughs> yeah. And I think with other girls, you know, if you kind of like lead with your heart and your emotion, they will kind of like connect with that easier. Whereas I think with guys, if you lead with a question, it also maybe kind of protects your heart a little bit. If that mm-hmm. makes sense. Um I mean, if it's plus someone, it's not, yeah, and plus it's not healthy, really, right? To just be so like, well, if it's a friendship, like it's not really that healthy to be totally like emotional, and they're not gonna respond to that as well, right? As girls would, I think so. I mean, I think it's different, like with, I mean, I know it's different with like your husband because there's a level of like covenant and commitment there that makes it safe. But even when you're dating, even at the beginning of a relationship, like you're growing that level of trust and intimacy and you're kind of also like testing it out. And so to just like fully wear your heart on your sleeve like you would with your girlfriend might not be the safest thing for your heart. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's why I think going into it, like asking a question first to clarify. And I mean, asking a question with a girlfriend is also smart, but I just think that that's like a good distinction to make is to say like with your guy friends, if you get hurt or with your boyfriend, if he says something that offends you, like start with that, start with asking a question to try and understand what was the motivation, because you might find that what you thought meant something so huge to him, like he didn't even think twice about and didn't mean anything other than what he actually said. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Which I think is so common. And so I'm sure in marriage and you learn so much about that and how mm-hmm. they operate uh, <laughs> and how, how they communicate best. So well, and when they tell you lots of practice, right? Yeah. And when they tell you, like often we girls are like, what are you thinking to like our boyfriends or whatever? And they're like, nothing. Yeah. And we're like, how can you be thinking nothing? You know what? They're actually telling you the truth. Sometimes they literally are not thinking. <laughs> anything yes and it's not just like I'm saying they're dumb or something it's like they literally can shut off their brains it's like a skill built into men (laughs) I wish I had that skill so don't assume and don't like uh go crazy over trying to figure out what's going on in their heads yeah because it might just be nothing at the moment (laughs) yeah all right those are some really good things that we can we can take away and so thank you for that um for sure made it to the last three questions. These are questions that I ask every guest that comes on the podcast. Uh, So I love hearing your different answers. The first one is, what is one thing that you wish you knew as a 20-something? I wish that I knew that all of the challenges and all of the 
detours and all of the hurts that I was facing in my 20s were actually building me into the person that I needed to be to be able to Mm -hmm. live out my calling. And that none of it was going to be wasted. Everything was going to be redeemed and used Mm -hmm. for, for my good and his glory. And I also wish I would have known that like life wasn't going to be looking exactly like I expected. So something that I've said probably more in my thirties than my twenties is like, there's been lots of times where I've said like, this isn't what I signed up for. (laughs) Like I didn't think marriage was going to look like this. And I didn't think parenting was going to look like this. And I didn't think ministry and, you know, my professional life was going to look like this. So in my twenties, you know, I, I mentioned like I had that kind of idealistic view of what it was going to be like. And I think it's good to be optimistic and it's good to be filled with hope, but to know that like when things start turning out differently than you expected, like just keep showing up, keep, um, trusting that God is working all the things together for your good and know that like, it's okay if it doesn't look like what you thought you were signing up for, he's still in it. And he can still make it beautiful. Yes. Amen. <laughs> so good. Because you know what? Like, I don't have a friend, I don't think, who hasn't gone through some kind of like loss or hurt or tragedy that like in their 30s now, you know, who like would never have expected that they would have had to walk through that. Like everything from like losing a child to like going through a divorce to losing their husband who was 34 years old, like I've watched my friends walk through some really hard stuff that they for sure did not sign up for. Right. And yet there is still hope that God can still make it beautiful, that he is still working everything together. And, um, if I think if I had known in my twenties, like, you know, there's going to be stuff coming that wasn't what you expected. And that's okay. Like, don't stress out. Don't think that God's deserted you. Don't think that you've done something so wrong. Like that's actually just, that's part of life. Part of life is the hard stuff. And Mm -hmm. when it comes, it's not a reflection on you and who you are and how you're doing. It's not even necessarily a reflection on like whether or not God loves you or is with you. It's just, it's a part of being human and it's okay. It's okay to feel pain. It's okay to mourn. It's okay. Like all of those experiences are holy. They're, they're not less spiritual. Yeah. Jesus is in those moments. Like he, he came and suffered with us. Like he knows, he knows what that's like. And I feel like it's easy for us to forget that like, he's a God who sympathizes as well with us. Like it's not just a God in heaven, like, Oh man, I know it's hard, but I'm God and I'm up here and you know, it's, it's all good. But like, he's in the mess with us. Mm -hmm. Okay. Next question. What are you like reading, listening to and or watching these days? All right. Well, reading, I am reading dare to lead by Brené Brown. Oh, yes. The queen. Mm -hmm. So good. And I'm also reading a book called Digital Minimalism. Oh. By, I think the guy's name is Cal Parker. 
Um, okay. And that one is really good. It's, oh, let me just, I'm going to make sure on the name because I don't want to give people the wrong name. But it's basically about, well, it's basically about the title, Digital Minimalism. <laughs> what does it look like to um, use technology um, intentionally um, to optimize it? And to have it be like a tool in our lives rather than something that kind of quietly controls or runs our lives without us even realizing it. Sure. Um, oh, his name's Cal Newport. Sorry. Okay. And um, yeah, it's definitely, uh, there's not, it's not like I agree with everything that he's saying necessarily, but I think there's some key pieces in it that I'm like, wow, this is really helpful. And we for sure need to have more awareness about our use of, um, technology, um, and just understand like how it's being designed and the intentions behind it. Like it's actually meant to cause us to be addicted to it. Like that's how certain apps are designed with that intention, just like cigarette companies designed their cigarettes to be more addictive. Like that is the same thing that is happening with Mm. social media. And if we're not aware of it, we can become a victim to it. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So it's just a good eye opener, I'm sure. Yeah, it's a good eye opener, and then also like a good practical tool of like cool. figuring out how to interact with technology in a healthy way. Yeah, I'll check that out for sure. And then listening to watching, you know, I haven't been listening to podcasts lately. I am a podcast listener, but I had to take a step back because I felt like I was getting so much input, and um, and it was kind of drowning out the voice of God for me. And so lately I've yeah. just been taking more time to listen to his voice and to ask creative questions and create space where I can hear him and I can yeah. get direction from him instead of like strategy from the world. So sure. Yeah. Lately it's been a lot more quiet. I've been listening to my garden. <laughs> <laughs> I go I outside that. in my garden and he just, teaches me things about life in the kingdom through my garden that is so cool oh there yeah. are so many so many gospel analogies in yeah. gardening so. yeah anything that you're watching oh nothing that would be um you know worth talking about on podcast the bachelorette <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh yes oh i watch it too i'm such a sucker oh for it yeah I don't know. It's just entertaining. It's it's a social thing for me. Yeah, it's it's fun. My husband and I actually watch it together and just laugh. We have good laughs over it. Yes, and these yeah. boys are ridiculous. So oh, it word. is so entertaining. It's Very. like we've got super annoying Luke, and then Ugh. these like most attractive men I've ever seen as well. I'm oh. like, oh my god. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, (laughs) it's pretty funny. And yes, I agree that Luke, she better, she better see through him. I feel like she will because she seems like she's got a good head on her shoulders, but I'm like, surely you need to figure out pretty soon. I I love Hannah. Like she is the most real bachelorette I think we've ever had. So yeah, she is pretty real. And, and I appreciate that about her too. She's kind of zany and I like that. Yes. She's hilarious. I love her. (laughs) I was really excited for the um the for Cam cuz he whenever he came on at the end of the bachelor finale he said he was an Aggie and I am an Aggie oh, and I was okay. like oh my gosh this is so exciting and yeah. now he has 
proven himself to be a disgrace to Aggies across the world. Yeah, yeah. He he was an unfortunate one. His ABCs yes, got him in trouble. Seriously. Yes. <laughs> oh, his, yeah. His major vulnerability. Sorry. But well, I mean, not- I guess in a way it just made it really clear really fast because he literally was being himself. So if they would all do that, then she wouldn't right. have so much drama to deal with. That's so true. <laughs> That's so true. I love that you watch it. So I totally do. <laughs> On one of my episodes earlier this semester, I gave a rap about the the Bachelor finale. So wow. with Jenny Ring. So in case you want to hear my freestyle rap, it is on that episode. I do want to hear that. I am going to go back and find that. (laughs) It was pretty good, not going to lie. I'm I'm excited (laughs) to go look that up because I also sometimes freestyle rap. So we have that in common. No, it was the start of my career. So I don't mean to set my expectations too high, but it's it's pretty good. (laughs) (laughs) okay so lastly what is refreshing you these days heather well i did already mention my garden um we have a big backyard on the river and i call it the back 40 even though it's like only you know a quarter of an acre but i just (laughs) love being outside and it's finally summer here, which in Canada, it takes a long time for summer to come. Um, so yeah, it's just being outside, going for bike rides with my kids, going for walks. Pretty soon we'll be going to the cabin. I love being by the water. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's where I, that's where I get my most refreshing. And then one other thing would be conversations like this. I love hearing people's stories and I love talking about things of the heart and life-giving conversations um, like this are just my fuel. So yeah, those are probably the two biggest things that are refreshing me these days. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Heather. I loved having you. And I'm so thankful for you talking about just how to navigate conflict because that is such a big thing that I think that all 20-somethings and beyond are trying to learn and trying mm-hmm. to be better at and so thank you just for some good tips of course thanks for having me and for opening up this important conversation yeah so yes of I course. hope it helps thank many people you. yeah yeah we're praying for that for sure so thanks heather Y'all, I am so thankful for this conversation today because it really is such a hard thing to handle handle conflict, and we learn so much about how to handle conflict more healthily in this season of life. We have left those immature middle and high school years where handling conflict in a healthy way is totally out of the picture, and hopefully we're entering into a time when we can sit with our friends or boyfriends and handle conflict like real adults. So thanks to Heather for helping us out with that. I hope you enjoyed our conversation today. Make sure you're following me on social for all the updates and sign up for my weekly newsletters to get the inside scoop. I'll catch you back next week. Stay fresh, my people.